So the Liberal Party invents a news story that Justin Trudeau was somehow the victim of racial slurs while trying to attend an event in Surrey, British Columbia. And the entire legacy media ran with the story before even bothering to verify it. The only problem for them is that the story was never true. It's Fake News Friday. Welcome to a special live edition of The Candace Malcolm Show. I'm your host, Candace Malcolm. And uh, thank you so much for, for tuning in. It's great to be with you. We had so much fun doing the live broadcast last week that we decided to do it again this week. And I am joined, as per usual, by my producer, Turner producer and journalist, Harrison Faulkner. Harrison, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Candice. Always a pleasure to be on the show. So this this is one of those stories. I, we talk about this a lot on Fake News Friday, that there's like fake news buried into fake news buried into fake news because there's so many interesting and delicious elements to this story. But this, this was the sort of main headline of the week uh, through the legacy media, which was this idea that Justin Trudeau had been the victim of racist slurs or that he had to cancel a fundraising event. So there's this $1,000 plate uh, fundraising event planned in Surrey, British Columbia on Tuesday afternoon. And b before the event was even started, uh, basically the liberals claimed that Trudeau couldn't go. It was unsafe for him. And they claimed that it was because a crowd of protesters were making racist slurs. So there were racial slurs being uh, being hurled at the attendees and at the fundraisers. And 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 Trudeau, who 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 you know just got back from uh, being in a war zone in Ukraine. Well, 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 he was told it was too too unsafe for him to attend this per in person event. So he would attend by Zoom instead. And you can see the headline there from the Canadian press. It says Trudeau cancels appearance at event in BC after protesters hurl racial slurs. And of course, you can see it's the Canadian press, which is a newswire service in Canada. So when something's written by the Canadian press, you're going to see it all over the news, Harrison. You're going to see it on in, in pretty much every major newspaper in the country. You're going to see it on CTV, on Global. Uh, basically, they all uh, subscribe to the Canadian press and they all run the exact same nonsense. Um, it's, there's so many interesting, again, levels to this story because the entire thing wasn't verified. It wasn't a fact. I, I saw that you had tweeted, Harrison, something along the lines of, you know, Canadian press invents a story. It's even worse than that because the liberals invented it. The, the liberals made a claim and then and then the, the media ran with it without bothering to verify it. Like, what do you mean the racial slurs? Who, 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 who was saying them? What were the racial slurs? And I know uh, you, you poured through... I think it was hours of video footage because there's yeah. lots of cell phone footage of this of this protest um, to to verify exactly what was said and what these supposed racial slurs were, Harrison. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So the thing it was is that immediately as the story started to evolve and started to come out, the line from the legacy media, of course, the Canadian press, who's a wire service, they put out the fact that there were racial slurs being thrown uh, and, and hurled at, uh, at attendees and at Trudeau. They kind of made Trudeau out to be the victim at the beginning of it at, at, as well. Um, but of course, there was video evidence of all of this. There were journalists that were covering the protests. There were citizen journalists that were there uh, kind of half participating and half covering and documenting what was going on. Uh, and so, of course, when, this, when the reports came out, everyone started looking for video footage. And I'm sure the Liberal Party staffers that were uh, tasked with coming up with this line were also looking at that footage, trying to find the video evidence that these anti-Trudeau protesters were being racist. Because, of course, Candace, 
we have seen these videos emerge from other protests uh, and we see how the media responds when accusations of racism um, get uh, get leveled at, at, at sort of anti-Trudeau protesters, anti-Jagmeet Singh protests. And whenever there's video footage, every Canadian basically has to see it because it gets put out on social media to show people just how bad these anti-Trudeau protesters are. But there was no video footage, Candice. There's no evidence of, of, of racial slurs being uh, being hurled, as they say, at attendees or at Liberal Party members. Uh, and that was sort of that, that kind of became the story throughout the week. Right, Candace? It was first here. Here are these horrible anti-Trudeau protesters once again being racist. Again, where have we seen the line of of anti-Trudeau protesters being racist? It seems to be their playbook now. So that was what that was the original story. Then slowly uh, journal uh, outlets started to backtrack and started to change their story because there were there was no evidence to back any of it up. So CBC the day after uh, basically totally rewrote the story, rewrote their headline, took out the uh, took out the line about them being racist and made it, made it an allegation. And John Kay uh, over at Quillette, he, he tweeted this and, and, sh- and basically drew the arrows telling you how the CVC changed their story. So it went from uh, Trudeau has to cancel the event because uh, protesters were hurling racial slurs to Trudeau Candle's appearance at Surrey fundraiser over protest related safety concerns. And then of course the rest of the story gets changed to try and cover their tracks. So the media goes out, calls the anti-Trudeau protesters racist without evidence, runs with the story that the liberals uh, were giving them, liberal party staffers were giving them. And now they're having to backtrack Candace. I mean, this just seems like something we've seen uh, many times before. This is a recycled playbook, throw out the horrible what? accusations and then backtrack because there's no evidence to back it up. It's not journalism. It's like, the liberals made a claim. The liberals accused their opponents of being racist. This is a thing that we have heard the liberals do 1,000 times over the past 10 years. That's their go-to shtick. Uh, people I don't like equate to racist. And and, and it, 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 it's almost become a joke or a meme on the political right that's like, racist has completely lost all meaning. But typically the role of a journalist, Harrison, you know this, you went to journalism school, uh, is, is to verify. So you don't just run a headline based on what a liberal MP told you. You could at least write alleges and liberals, right? Liberals allege racial slurs. No, they, they ran it as fact, as truth, that, that there were racial slurs, even though there's no such evidence. And it wasn't just the CBC that had to change their headline. Uh, the Canadian Press also changed their headline pretty much exactly like the CBC one that you just showed. Uh, you can see the side-by-side here. It went from the protesters were hurling racial slurs, which was unverified and untrue, to Trudeau cancels appearance at event in BC amid angry protests. So, so the, you know, they're still trying to classify the protesters. Anyone who's anti-Trudeau is either a racist or just an angry conservative. And so th- those are the sort of like the two boxes that they can put you in. This is Freedom Convoy over and over again. We're going to be seeing this a lot in our country because that's just the go-to media shtick. That's, that's basically their favorite line of attack against Canadians. It's like, if you don't like our glorious prime minister and you have the gall to protest against him, then you must, there must be something wrong with you. You must be deranged. You must be racist. You must be angry. And I, I just, I want to show a clip because this is, this is what it looked like, right? You, you have the prime minister of a country who is not very popular, right? He, he won with the lowest ever uh, percentage of the vote in the last election, 2021. Uh, people aren't happy with his programs. People aren't happy with the economy. People aren't happy with the way that he handled COVID. There is a lot of dissatisfaction. 
That's legitimate, Harrison. That's legitimate in a democracy. Every uh-huh. prime minister, every politician gets protested. That's part of the job, right? But somehow the media is just so protective over Trudeau and they just treat him like this injured little bird that that, that, that needs his protection. They run with his lies. They don't verify him. They don't push back. They don't question what he's saying. This, this, is, what the, this is what the protests looked like. Uh, you know, People are angry. Sure, that's a, pretty much every protest is full of angry people. That, that's that's one of the defining characteristics of a protest is that people are angry enough that they're going to leave their home, go to a public place, and show their political dismay as part of the democratic process again. Um, so, so you can you can see what this looks like, see with your own ha- eyes, uh, and 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 then you can draw your own conclusions about the way that the media covered this. So here's that clip. So as, as far as protests go, Harrison, that's pretty tame. I mean, there's a sizable group of people. They're saying Trudeau must go. That's pretty standard political chanting there. And look, if you ask me and I'm give, you know asked to analyze the crowd and what's going on, I, you know, I, w- I would just say a group of protesters, well within their political rights, uh, I imagine that many of those people who showed up have been disproportionately harmed by Trudeau's heavy-handed measures and by the government's heavy-handed response to COVID. Maybe some of them lost their jobs. Maybe some of them lost their businesses or their livelihood. Um, maybe you know some of them can't travel. They want to leave Canada and they cannot. Like I, I would imagine that many of those people have very legitimate grievances, very legitimate reasons as to why they're protesting. The media doesn't care. They don't try to get to know the protesters. They don't try to give them a voice. Um, instead, they just go right with the playbook of anybody who protest Trudeau is evil and wrong, and therefore we must demonize them and frankly, further marginalize them, make them more angry. And, you know, any wave of populism that we are seeing, it is the media and it is stories exactly like this one that are contributing and making the problem even bigger. Uh, you know, there's there's a reason why there's so many angry people and so many people who don't like the media. And it's exactly because of stories like this. Harrison, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, Trudeau has been getting this reception at almost every city that he visits in Canada. So the idea that they were caught off guard, his security team was caught off guard by this protest obviously is not true. He was in a resi- he was in a uh, a First Nations community before this and he was getting he was getting brutally heckled by the First Nations people there. Calling him they went they some of them were calling him a criminal. Uh, I mean this guy is is totally unpopular in this country. Wherever he goes, he's getting brutally heckled. And no wonder these people are are so frustrated, right, Candace? He will base he he basically told Canadians during the election that the unvaccinated are some of the worst people. I think there's there's a clip of him in French, you know, connecting them to being rapists and things like this, and going so far misogynistic. He called them, uh, and and then he bans them from getting on airplanes and leaving the country. So they're trapped in a country in which the leader demonizes them constantly. And they're being wedged out of, of society by a government. And yet the expectation is that uh, this that the media needs to cover for the prime minister. Um, and I, I put this out earlier in the weekend. It's just about th- this is the state of the legacy media. This is why we have this show about fake news, because the story should be the legacy media should be reporting 
this prime minister can't go to a city in this country without getting brutally heckled wherever he goes. Instead, the story is these protesters are so terrible. They're the worst of our society. And the prime minister needed to cancel his event because of these horrible protesters. I mean, no wonder they're upset. No wonder they dislike the legacy media. No wonder they obviously have a huge issue with the prime minister. Um, <clears throat> if the legacy media has any uh, interest or any uh, ambition to try and regain some trust that they have lost from, the, from, from Canadians, maybe they should try and do some, do some actual journalism, verify their reports. Don't just take the liberal media talking points because a political staffer will always do what a political staffer does. They will put out a line that protects their boss. It's, it's not, it's, it shouldn't be a surprise that liberal staffers are, are coming up with, with uh, allegations of racism when there aren't any. The surprise is when the journalists themselves run with that story without doing any actual journalism, without doing any actual verification. Uh, and then, of course, have to backtrack because they get caught with their, you know, they have to they have to really walk away with their tails between their legs. This is another example of them doing Canadians a huge disservice. Well, and 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 then they're dishonest even in that. Right. Like they were caught putting out a story that was based on liberal spin that wasn't verified. As soon as they got the researchers to try to find any clip or any verification that there were actual racist comments being made by these protesters, they quickly realized that that story doesn't hold up to any water. And so they changed it. They lied about it. They changed it behind our back. They didn't issue a correction. They didn't put updated story. You know, they didn't, they didn't make it clear that they had changed the story. They just quietly rewrote those headlines, quietly rewrote in, in the case of the CBC, rewrote like half the article uh, because the original story just wasn't true. It was it was completely fake news, and that's why we covered it. I, I want to talk about a Toronto Star piece as well that that also covered it. Um, they added in a, a different angle, which was that they claim that the protesters were carrying a noose, that one of the protesters was carrying a noose, and somehow um, that is the reason why Justin Trudeau wasn't able to go. So I just want to read a little bit of the story because it's pretty amusing. So it quotes an individual called Braden Cayley, who is a former liberal staffer. He tweeted a picture um, that he took at the event of a protester dressed in camouflage with the word uh, Trudeau and treason on a wooden cross. So that's that's apparently uh, beyond the pale. So Kaylee, who now works for Canada 2020, which is a liberal think tank, this uh, Toronto Star piece uh, very uh, subserviently calls it a nonpartisan think tank, even though it's completely staffed by liberal uh, insiders and former staffers. Uh, he, he tweeted this, a noose was brought to the door of an event with Canada's prime minister last night. The escalating toxicity being stoked via the extreme right this year is beyond dangerous, uh, except for the, the Toronto Star picture dis disputes that claim uh, in the picture. You can see the picture on the screen here. Uh, the noose is hanging from a truck. The truck was in the parking lot. So no, they didn't bring a noose to the front door of an event by, <laughs> with the prime minister. Well, the prime minister didn't bother to show up, <laughs> but 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 the but the noose was clearly on the truck, and the truck was in the parking lot. So more fake news for you there, Harrison. Yeah, more fake news. And when I saw this story, what I immediately thought of, Candice, was when protesters on May Day, which is this sort of uh, I, I don't I don't really know it's this celebration, right? Uh, for the socialists in our society. And they came to Queens Park in 2019 with a guillotine, basically covered in like a prop guillotine, as this was a prop noose. They brought a guillotine to Queens Park and they had a Doug Ford effigy. Basically, I mean, okay, you, you take you take that and then you compare it to a, a some angry Canadians 
um, with a with a prop noose um, saying that Trudeau uh, was committing treason. Obviously, we're not going to sit here and say either is okay. But the idea that this is some outstanding, uh, you know, circumstances these are these are horrible circumstances that no politician has ever had to deal with, Candace. That's just not at all true. This is this is this is commonplace, and it's disappointing that it is commonplace in Canada. But it is commonplace. The left does this just as much as the right. And at this point, I think opposition to Justin Trudeau is not even very political. It, it, it's, it's kind of actually past left versus the left-right political divide. But that's what I immediately thought of, the fact that we've seen this way, we've seen examples of this that have been way worse. And, and of course, we actually have a clip of this. Stephen Harper, who was giving a speech at, at a rally, was rushed by a protester on the stage. And he just brushed it off and kept talking and made and made a joke about it because that's frankly what a leader should do. A leader should not be trying to wedge and divide people. He should understand that this is part of the job. This is part of the gig. People do not like you when you're the leader of a country. People love you. People hate you. But instead, of course, in, instead of instead of wallowing in it and needing the press to to cover him and to make him feel better, Harper just goes along with it and, and goes on with it with his day because people want to hear what he has to say like the people who paid Trudeau to hear what he had to say in, in uh, Surrey. We have that clip. Let's play that clip just to show you the difference between Justin Trudeau, the way he responds to these incidents, and the way someone like Stephen Harper responded to an incident like this. Wrong decisions at the national level, on taxes, on spending, on deficits, they would significantly raise those risks. Okay. Jesus. They would significantly raise those risk friends. A lot more than that. <laughs> so he, he even he even puts a joke at the end there, Candace, just for good measure. I mean, t- talk about a contrast, right? Well, it's the same location, sorry, British Columbia. And, right. you know, Harper just takes it in stride and makes a quick joke about it. I mean, look, this happens at political events all over the political spectrum, all over the country, all over the world. Like, again, they just, the media just treat Justin Trudeau with these little kid gloves, like, oh, he's so precious. Oh, it's so dangerous for him to be around these angry, toxic right wingers. And you're right, they could just completely ignore the fact that this happens to politicians of all stripes and it has been you know dating back to forever basically so uh <laughs> you know that's that's pretty much what we've uh, come to expect from the legacy media well i want to talk about uh we, we we reached sort of a dubious anniversary this past week which was the one week one year sorry anniversary of the story of the unmarked graves that were apparently discovered at a the site of a former residential school in Kamloops, British Columbia. Um, you all recall the sort of escalating events that happened. So we had a chief put out a, a press release that went viral, went around the world, that made international headlines, got exaggerated. Uh, you know, a story about uh, a supposed unmarked graves turned into mass graves, turned into evidence of genocide, turned into burning down churches and tearing down statues and canceling Canada Day. And you know, our flags being at half mast for what, five, six months, uh, the, the, the election 2021, the media sort of forced this issue upon us, even though, according to uh, polls, it was like a very low uh, issue for Canadians. It wasn't even the top 10 in terms of what they cared about in the election. And yet, uh, uh, 
I, I think it was like, what was it, 27 minutes of the federal debate in 2021 was focused on reconciliation. So this is a story that really, really took on a life of its own. Um, viewers of the show know that I was quite skeptical of the story. The, the information within was never verified. It didn't really add up. Um, a lot of the information was really uh, very bare bones, let's just say, um, no pun intended. But it, it's interesting to see one year later, Harrison, how the story took life of its own. Uh, I, I did an interview with Tom Flanagan, who's a professor of political science, a retired professor, who's basically studied this issue of, of First Nations relations his entire career. He called this the biggest fake news story in Canadian history, the greatest fake news story in Canadian history. And it's interesting to see one year later how it's being covered, because I think there's been a lot of people in the media coming around to the points that myself and some others made early on that this story doesn't really hold a lot of water and it uh, doesn't really add up. Um, and so it's, it's, it's sort of interesting to see. So you have the National Post, Terry Glavin writing, he, he said, the year of the graves, how the world's media got it wrong on residential school graves. And so he's sort of coming to the conclusion uh, that the same, again, the same thing that, that uh, myself and others were saying early on, which is that, okay, he writes in the, in the, in the following weeks, well, the term mass graves generally uh, gave way to unmarked graves, a cascade of breaking news events purported to reveal several discoveries of what eventually added up to more than 1,300 child burials, burials at other residential schools across Canada, except that's not what happened in those places either. Glavin continues, he said, um, uh, as for the most recent uproars, not a single mass grave was discovered in Canada last year. Several sites of unmarked graves that uh, captured international headlines were either already known cemeteries or they remain sites of speculation, even now unverified as genuine grave sites. Um, and then he makes a point that I've made before that the it, people in Coessis, the reserve in Saskatchewan, where Trudeau famously um, took that picture where he's taking a knee there. Um, that wasn't uh, that wasn't a, a discovery. That was a known grave site. That was a, a known graveyard that included um, people who were both First Nations and non-First Nations who were buried there. So ba basically, there's just a lot of information that was never verified, a lot of stuff that wasn't true. And yet what you see on the other side, so, so you see a lot of sort of more sensible reporting, more sensible analysis saying, you know, I think that we probably over-exaggerated a little bit and, and this led to all kinds of uh, sad, unfor un unfortunate occurrences, including burning down churches and, and vandalizing churches and um, also, you know, just this added feeling of victimization and hopelessness for people in First Nations community who now, some of them truly believe that these residential schools were like Holocaust centers and, and that the people were just being mass executed, which is not verified, not true. Um, you know, you still have people on the political left who double down on the fake news narrative. So I want to go to Jagmeet Singh's tweets about this. He, he tweeted uh, basically just, again, ver doubling down and verifying the nonsense. He says, one year ago, 215 unmarked graves of indigenous children were found at a former residential school in Kamloops. Since that terrible discovery, the bodies of hundreds of other children have been uncovered at similar sites, and we know that more are waiting to be found. Well, that's just completely untrue. That's just completely untrue. We'll go back to that first one. The bodies of ch other children have been uncovered. Uh, no, there are no bodies. There are no confirmed children and nothing has been uncovered because there haven't been any excavations, right? The only way that we know that that these, that, or the only reason we suspect that these might be unmarked graves is because of a preliminary 
ground penetrating radar report that was put out. Um, and it didn't even find that it was 215. It found that it was 200 Harrison and that these were soil disturbances. They weren't necessarily graves. So, so again, you know, you, you, you have facts and then they just don't line up with the narrative. And so now you have these people out there pushing this narrative and it just, it just really falls flat. I just want to show one more piece and I'll get your reaction. There was, um, an op-ed over in the Globe and Mail uh, written by two individuals. Uh, the headline reads, reconciliation can't be achieved with only symbolic gestures. And they sort of double down on all of the narratives that this is genocidal and that this proved genocide. Uh, I, I just want to uh, point out, this is sort of a funny aside. Uh, one of the authors of this piece is a First Nations professor. Uh, the other one <laughs> describes himself, Ian Mosby, he describes himself as a settler scholar, an assistant professor of history at the Toronto Metropolitan University. So that is the university formerly known as Ryerson. And I, that's a new one to me. I've never seen anyone describe themselves as a settler scholar. Um, but Harrison, what do you make of all this? Well, I mean, there's so much to talk about with this and we could really do, we could do an hour long show on this. I mean, first, I think the first thing we should look at is what a lot of journalists have refused to cover. This story really to me is a failure of journalism. We at True North, you in particular, Candace, did an excellent job at, at picking through the facts, at picking through, sorry, the claims and getting to the facts about what was going on at a time when it was politically unpopular to do so. So that we, you know, True North readers and, and other people were kind of seeing through a lot of this, but it was really a major failure in journalism. First, we should show people watching right now what the basis was for all these claims. Claims that basically led to uh, a summer in which churches were burned across our country and vandalized. We had Queen Victoria toppled. Um, Egerton Ryerson statue at Ryerson was toppled. A, a summer of destruction, really, that was caused by ground-penetrating radar findings that are not in, that are not conclusive whatsoever, Candice. Um, and, 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 and frankly, don't even show what is being claimed to what, what, what they're claiming to show. So why don't we show um, our, our, the audience what these ground penetrating radar findings even looked like. So why don't we put those up on the screen? This is what a ground penetrating radar will show you. It'll show you soil disruptions, which could be anything. And even the, even the um, First Nations leaders admitted to this in the uh, inquiry findings, Candice, that these could have been tree roots. These could have been graves that were of, uh, of adults Nothing proves um, nothing. Nothing proves that um, you know children were buried here in, in, in mass graves, and especially if you take Jagmeet Singh's line, it, it's not accurate to say that whatsoever. Now, also, it's the media coverage of this story that I think is so shocking. the The idea that there was very little scrutiny from the legacy media candidates on this uh, whatsoever. Uh, obviously, now a year later, it's turning out to kind of unfold, and most Canadians are starting to catch on. And it's a shame because what really happened was the emotions of Canadians were swept up because of, I think, a lot of understandable uh, sadness and disappointment about about this news. No Canadian was happy to read these stories, and I think all of us wanted to feel as though there was something we could do. But the fact is that if 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 the truth was just put out there at the very beginning, I think. Canadians who, who may now be much more skeptical of what they hear in regards to reconciliation, Canadians would be in a better place. I think Canadians and, and, and First Nations communities would have a, would have a better, would be on, would be on a better, a similar page. But now there's a lot of skepticism because 
I think most Canadians feel they were basically being fed uh, mistruths or uh, or spun truths to try and whip up um, a lot of a lot of division and frustration. It's 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 really it's real. It's just disappointing to see. And, and I want to point this out too. The New York Post, um, which is one of the oldest newspapers, I think it's the oldest newspaper in the United States. Uh, today, they ran a story that calls the Kamloops mass graves uh, the biggest fake news story in Canada. And the headline says it, it, it was it's been debunked by academics. I mean, this is devastating stuff, and it's really being. Uh, I think the people that it hurts the most are First Nations Canadians. Well, you're right, and it's such a disservice to media of the media, not just to all Canadians. It's a disservice to all Canadians because there was genuine remorse and contrition, and people really just felt awful and wanted to do something. And I think that 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 the sort of goodwill that was offered. Uh, will be compromised when Canadians learn that, that, that no, this is not actually w- what happened. And more Canadians are. I just noticed anecdotally from the comments, like a year ago when I was first sort of raising some questions about it, I would say that 90% of the comments were people telling me I was wrong and I was on the wrong side of history. And it was it was evil to question this. Um, and now when I read comments, it's like flipped. It's like not, 90% of people are skeptical of the story and five or 10% still remain uh, genuinely remorseful. It's also obviously a major disservice to First Nations people, as I mentioned, this idea that uh, we're now teaching them that they are the victims of a genocide. And imagine trying to live a normal life in a society where you're told that your ancestors were targeted and murdered systematically by the state like that's not a, a that's not a healthy environment uh for a society uh interestingly so jonathan Kay, who we mentioned earlier in the program he 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 sent out a tweet basically just reiterating this stuff and 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 pointing out that jagmeet singh was pushing misinformation he says uh, these have always been described as suspected graves since no bodies have yet to be unearthed and then he says if jagmeet singh is information indicating otherwise you should share it with the media otherwise um you know you shouldn't say that these bodies were on earth. Uh, interesting. So a local reporter in Kamloops, an individual called James Peters, he, he replied, and I think that his replies are very sort of e- exemplary of the mindset of the media. So he, he just says, this particular brand of skepticism has become popular among certain strains of deniers and contrarians, especially on Twitter. It's all theoretical until the remains are exhumed. This is counterproductive and harmful. Uh, so right off the bat, he says, like, how dare you be skeptical of this story that's not verified? He calls Jonathan Kay a name, deniers, which, you know, we've, we've heard that a lot before. Originally, people who are called deniers were Holocaust deniers. Then they became climate change deniers. And now what? They're a mass grave deniers, like <laughs> they're First Nation um, unmarked grave deniers. So, so name calling. And then, and then just saying, Anyone asking questions is counterproductive and harmful. And then he, he goes on to say, denies the efficacy of groundbreaking radar and the work done by scientists such as Sarah Bilyeu. Well, I watched Dr. Sarah Bilyeu's uh, presentation, and she was the one who said, <laughs> she, 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 she said during her presentation that, first of all, there's no way to confirm. She said it wasn't 215. It was more like 200. And the only way to determine whether or not there are human remains down there and whether or not they belong to children, whether or not belong to children at the residential school. The only way to determine any of that is through excavation. I think a lot of Canadians genuinely believe that there was going to be some kind of excavation, that, that we were going to be able to verify it. And of course, there's there's no plans for any of that. Um, and so <laughs> this is just going to be an ongoing case of, of people basically saying, you know, on the one side, let's find some facts and let's verify them. And the other side, uh, people basically saying, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you try to 
verify or try to get facts uh, to <laughs> to prove the story because we, we all just have to take it as fact and then use it as a weapon um, to basically beat down Canadian society and say that Canada is a horrible, awful, racist, genocidal, colonialist society uh, with no legitimacy. And that's pretty much where the left is these days. Yeah. And there's no way that the media and people in, in government who were pushing this narrative without any facts, there was no way they didn't know what the product, what was going to come from this, which was basically a an unprecedented wave of anti-Canadian sentiment being spread by, basically being spread throughout our society. Again, labeling our country as this horrible, evil place um, and basically drawing connections to the very worst very worst uh, countries in history to Canada, which is the best country, I believe, in the world. One of the one of the places that is the freest place on earth, a country that people all over the world would would give an arm and a leg to come to. And we had our flag uh, lowered for almost six months in a, in a in a perpetual state of mourning for something that there was just no evidence to back up. And, and the assault on on Christian communities in Canada throughout the summer that this caused was unbelievable and the fact that it got so little attention compared to the uh, compared to the, the unmarked uh, burial claims that just didn't have any evidence. Uh, th- to me, there's no way, Candace, that this the, the response that we saw from Canadian society was not anticipated when people started putting this stuff out there without any fact, without any without any evidence, and, and leaving it up to to Canadians to interpret. And of course, some people come to the very worst conclusions. And some people want to get to the bottom of what was really going on. I think I think you did that, and we at True North did that, and, and other journalists did that. Um, but also several people, several people, several journalists and politicians, and to this day, Jagmeet Singh saying that it's it's unbelievable without evidence. He knows what he's doing. Um, these people knew what they were doing, and it really, it's uh, I think it's a stain on Canadian journalism. And, and now we have New York Post. We have we're going to have international outlets. Um, that we're pushing this narrative, coming out and saying, actually, there's no evidence to back it up at all. So how does it make our country look? It makes us look, I think, it doesn't put us in great light. Well, and it's also part of a broader trend, right? This isn't just happening in Canada. I know Douglas Murray has a new book out called War on the West. And the, the, the idea that they go after sort of the national figures, the, the, the historical figures of a country to try to undermine the very uh, legitimacy of that country. We see it happening in the UK with uh, Winston Churchill. You see it happening in the US, even with Thomas Jefferson or Abraham Lincoln. In Canada, it definitely happened with with John A. McDonald, where he, you know, he's just completely, uh, in the eyes of so many elites, he, he's just beyond the pale. Um, you know, that, 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 that doesn't just hit at John A. McDonald, it hits at the, the core of Canada and our identity. And I, I want to stay with this topic, though, of, of sort of political culture wars that are happening all over the West. Um, and what we see this past week, I mean, you, you know, the, the biggest news story in the world was just the unspeakable, horrible tragedy that happened in Uvalde, Texas, still Put, trying to put together the details of that, Harrison, you and I were talking before air about this new timeline that came out that's just really unconscionable. The idea that the police uh, waited over an hour before going in to stop this gunman and waiting for backup um, and while parents were frantically urging them to, to go inside. Uh, for, for me, when I look at the story, I see um, you know a, a picture of a very um, isolated and disgruntled and mentally ill young man with no no father in the picture, a mother who was 
using drugs, you know, he shot his own grandmother, like there's severe dysfunction in this young man's life. Uh, interestingly, you know, an 18 year old male shooter, exactly the same profile as the as shooter in Buffalo, New York, in, in terms of age and, and gender. Um, you know, it seems to me that there's a, a broader societal problems. There's probably policing problems. Um, there's you know, a definite so- social breakdown. You know, this guy spent a lot of time on social media sites like Reddit and, and Instagram. There's so many things that you can analyze and try to understand. I mean, you can't understand a horrible, unspeakable tragedy. You never will. But it's interesting how the political left and the the, the news media sort of knee-jerk reaction is to go straight to gun control. In the case of Buffalo, they went straight to, you know, white supremacists, evil right-wingers. Um, they, they, they don't want to, they, they take like the most simplistic perspective and use it as a like, political weapon against the public instead of really trying to understand what happened, understand what went wrong. It seems like Uvalde was a, a pretty horrific case of police inaction. And I'm saying this as someone who is generally very pro-police, but when I, when I read the details there, it's really just very difficult uh, to understand what was going on in that chaotic scene. Um, all this is just to say that whenever there's a big tragedy that's easily exploitable in by Democrats in the U.S., it just seems to quickly make its way up to Canada. So we saw this a few weeks ago with the Roe versus Wade uh, case, where all of a sudden Justin Trudeau used that as an example to say that he was going to provide more abortions in Canada and that they were going to allow Americans to come up to Canada to, to have abortions. Um, you know, when, when it came to the Buffalo shooter, instantly they were trying to tie the trucker convoy and this guy, Pat King, and then Pierre Polyev to the murderer. And then now with Evaldi, almost instinct, like knee-jerk reaction and the media run with it, of course. Uh, we, we saw the Ontario Liberal leader here in Ontario, Stephen Del Duca, um, putting out this tweet saying what happened at Rob Elementary School in Texas is absolutely horrific. My heart breaks for his children and teachers who've lost their lives. Um, the need for gun control has never been clearer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, calling for, for more gun control in Canada. Likewise, there's this uh, CTV City News story uh, saying new gun, gun control measures coming in Canada, Trudeau says. So he's already, uh, he, he doesn't have a specific policy in mind, but he's ready um, to pounce, ready to capitalize on the horrible tragedies that are happening um, in the United States by somehow pretending that the gun rules in Texas are anything remotely similar uh, to the gun laws in Ontario or that the the, the underlying social problems um, that are occurring in the United States, look, some of them do occur in Canada. Some of them, you know, the problem with societal breakdown, with family breakdown, uh, the problem with isolation, especially during COVID, these young isolated men, uh, you know, being told whatever they're told that makes them go so deranged um, and then spending a bunch of time on social media you know that that was a problem before. It's been exasperated by the lockdowns. Um, but 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 to sort of import these culture wars into Canada, pretend it's it's the exact same thing. It's just so callous. Like I, I don't know how else to describe it, Harrison. It's so callous. It's like they're just manipulating people who have emotional takes on these issues that don't think very deeply about them. Their knee-jerk reaction is let's ban all guns or let's uh, you know make sure that abortions are codified in our in our chart of rights and freedoms or something like that like they, they have a very superficial reaction and then and then the liberals capitalize on it and the media like cheers and applause for them it's 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 just it's like a pet peeve it's 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 so callous what do you think yeah and i think i think it's really i think it's a really bad practice i don't think it does anyone in in canada any good when politicians jump on horrible tragedies to push their narratives um when things are so fresh we, we knew this was going to come because 
it always does, right, Candice? It, it always comes when there's something that is dominating the news cycle. There's, there's almost this need for uh, figures in Canada to, to do something about it and to ride that wave. Um, <clears throat> and we, we, I mean, the, the horrible takes on the, on the shooting in, in Texas obviously don't just stop with, with uh, Stephen Del Duca's comment about the need for more gun control. Uh, the idea that there, there can be any comparison to the issues we're seeing in the United States, these, these ongoing horrible shootings at schools, that, that, is, that is a United States thing. The idea that we can even compare um, any of that to what happens in Canada is just not accurate. We don't have that problem in Canada. We have other problems, significant problems. But the idea that we can ride this and say, well, because of that, because of what happened in Texas, um, we need to push for Canadian, you know, stricter Canadian gun laws. It's, it's, I, think it, I think it's frankly disgusting because the, these parents and these students um, who had classmates and family and, and children um, taken from them um, and, and you know, teachers who had lost their lives, these people should be left alone. Their tragedy should not be used to push political narratives. And, and of course, we can take, you know, we, we, that's, that's just the Texas example. Of course, there's the abortion example, um, which shouldn't surprise anyone that Justin Trudeau jumped on that to push his own narrative. I just really wish in Canada, we set a standard, Candace, where our politicians don't, don't use awful tragedies to push their narratives. It would really, I'd really appreciate it if we could stop doing that. Um, I think everyone would, would be better off for it. Um, and I think if Canadian politicians wanted to um, advance legislation and, and use, use the media to advance legislation, they should at the very least use Canadian examples because that would actually make sense. This frankly just doesn't make sense. And I think Del Duca couldn't help himself. He had to jump on it, right? Well, yeah, you're right. And I mean, they, they, the liberals are the king of this because it was after the hor horrific, horrible mass shooting in Nova Scotia that Trudeau very, very quickly came out with a sweeping right. ga uh, ban on scary looking guns. <laughs> and uh, you, you recall that was the one that Aaron O'Toole originally opposed. And then as soon as he got a little bit of pushback from the media during the election, he flip flopped on it. Um, but, but the liberals always use news stories uh, to their advantage. Uh, but this is particularly callous, uh, given that uh, the, given that is, is we're in the wake of just a horrible, horrible tragedy. Um, interestingly, though, just as, as a sort of local related story, um, there was a man who was roaming around a school area in the Scarborough area of Toronto uh, yesterday, and he was fatally shot by police. Uh, he was holding a gun. Turns out it was a BB gun. Um, but the police wasted no time, which is quite frankly the opposite of what seems to have happened in Uvalde. Again, the timeline, you read through it, it's just mind-boggling. Um, this guy was was outside the school for, I think it was 14 minutes, firing his weapon before he actually went into the school, Harrison. So the, the police had ample opportunity to take this guy out. The The school had ample opportunity to lock down and lock their doors and, and prevent this deranged shooter from entering. Why none of that was done is beyond me. And, and uh, it's again, just, just so unspeakable and so horrible. Yeah. But uh, again, there, there's no, there's no political tragedy out there that Justin Trudeau and other liberals won't jump to take advantage of. Okay. Yeah. Fi final story. I want to talk about Harrison. This is just almost good for a laugh. This was a story that, that circled around this past week that apparently 
15, 16% of legacy media journalists are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Headline says, alarming levels of stress are harm, harming the mental illness, mel- sorry, harming the mental health of Canadian journalists and media workers. So woe is me. It is so hard to be a journalist, Harrison. <laughs> and you, you read some of these stats and wow, this explains so much. This explains so much <laughs> of Fake News Friday and why we are here. Uh, so according to this anonymous online survey that was conducted in uh, the end of 2021 by, by journalists themselves, self-reporting about themselves. A full 69% of journalists in Canada report anxiety, okay? 46% report depression, 15% report post-traumatic stress injury. So, so, so the majority of journalists in this country self-report having some kind of mental duress or, or instability uh, that, 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 that really reflects in, in, in their reporting, I think, in the way that they handle the news and the way that they try to victimize themselves and make it seem like they, you know, they, they, they have the most dangerous job in the country. Uh, this one's kind of interesting. Media workers face rampant harassment online, so 56% report online harassment and threats. Um, I'm actually surprised it's not higher because my, my, my assumption is, is that you know, o- almost all Canadians could say that they report some kind of online harassment. People who spend a lot of time online uh, realize that whenever you have a platform with anonymous users, there's going to be some just nonsense that's tweeted or, or, or pushed out. And, you know, the, the, the fact that you would dwell on that is is just beyond me. Um, but to go through a little bit more, they say that 35% experience harassment in the field. 46% of journalists in Canada report high-risk drinking, and 26% Harrison describe themselves as heavy drinkers. So so we have a heavy drinking group of journalists reporting the news. 53% have sought medical help to deal with work, stress, and mental health, and 85% have never received training on mental health or trauma at work. So uh, are, are you sure you, uh, you sure Harrison that you want to enter this profession? I mean, it's not too late <laughs> for you. You can, you, you can get out, but it doesn't really paint a very rosy picture of life as a journalist in Canada. Well, it sure does explain quite a lot, doesn't it? With those figures, what is it? 60% have some, you know, are crippling with shaking anxiety. They can't do their jobs. <laughs> now here's the thing. There, there's, there's so many here. We could, we, we could really make a lot of jokes. Some, some probably, not as not too appropriate for the show uh, about these numbers, <clears throat> but you know what? We we've seen this so so often ever since the trucker convoy. There were all these events about about journalists under attack and and you know the, the these you know the threats to journalism and and the war on the news. It's they're, they're, they really have I think found a new gear of trying to put themselves and make themselves out to be the victims. And you know I wonder, Candice, if maybe. Just maybe running with a story without verifying it and saying that Canadians who were upset at the prime minister were hurling racist insults at people and, and then having to backtrack might have to do some, some little bit about some of the online harassment that these journalists are facing. It might just be because their reporting has been so horrendous over the past what is it? it feels like over the past really the past year they've really gone to well, a few years since COVID. I mean, it's just right. they've stopped reporting and just started becoming stenographers for the politicians. Yeah, exactly. So maybe that has to do with it uh, just a little bit that that they basically are pitting Canadians against each other and running with the government lines. I mean, what what else can we pick out of here? Uh, the fifteen percent that report uh, PTSD, Candace. I wonder because uh, I, I would probably say that maybe uh, getting pepper sprayed by uh, riot cops and getting, you know, shot with tear gas uh, as the independent journalists 
um, as Andrew Lawden and as Alexa Lavoie were uh, in Ottawa during the trucker convoy. I wonder if they uh, suffer from any of that. Probably not because they're adults. They understand what goes into being a journalist. Um, but imagine if these legacy media journalists in their cushy corporate subsidy, uh, subsidy journalist offices, they're the ones that are reporting PS- PTSD. Uh, imagine if those people who seem to be so thin-skinned and, and frankly weak Imagine if they had to do the job that like independent journalists, like the ones that, that we have at True North and the ones that are at Rebel, imagine if they had to do that job. I mean, I don't well, even know they could do. They probably couldn't even take a day of it, Candace. Yeah, I mean, for, for, forget about independent journalists. Like, I'd like to see them, you know, working on like an oil rig for a day or, or yeah. driving a truck, like like these, these poor rep- pampered little journalists. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, oh... Oh, my life is so scary. I, I face mean tweets online. It's like, yeah, it's because of your reporting. The reason that people, uh, you know, have pushback online and, and say things is because they don't like being called racist and they don't like the ca- way you characterize them. And there's no accountability in media. They they sit, the journalists sit there and hurl the craziest accusations of the Canadian public, and then they face the tiniest bit of pushback and they. You know, they do panels at, at Ryerson University or Carleton called the media versus the truckers. Like they, they, they really see themselves on the front lines. And, you know, the, this whole idea, I mean, I've spent a bit of time in Ottawa and I've met many of the people, the parliamentary press gallery. And none of this is too surprising for me, you know, that these people lead very sad, miserable lives. Um, 46% are heavy drinkers or, or sorry, or high risk drinkers, whatever that means. And 26% are heavy drinkers. Yeah, I, I, I could have told you that, uh, you know, from, from going to a political event in Ottawa. So really kind of a sad profession again, Harrison, I would, I would just say it's, it's not too late for you, man. You can, you can go get a real job. <laughs> you don't yeah. have to be a journalist. Um, all well, jokes if aside. If only I received mental health training at work, Candace, then maybe it might make it much easier for me. We should look into that at True North. <laughs> yeah. Maybe True North will do some, some kind of program. I don't, I, it, 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 it's just, uh, it's, it's also fitting and uh, in, in all seriousness, so we, we, we love what we do and it's a lot of fun to, oh, yeah. to poke fun at these journalists because they're just so clueless and they're really bringing the worst kind of division to our society that they're importing us culture wars. They're blatantly getting news stories wrong. They're, they're lashing out at Canadians or sneering at Canadians. They're dividing Canadians. They're saying that our very foundational history is racist and genocidal. Like, you know, all, all of, all of the fury um, that they faced, they had coming. So I'll just, I'll just leave it at that uh, for today, Harrison. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's always great to hear from you, Harrison. Yeah. Th- thanks for having me on Candace. All right. That's True North journalist and producer Harrison Faulkner. I'm Candace Malcolm. It's Fake News Friday. This is the Candace Malcolm Show. Mm-hmm.